Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Man, what a roller coaster. What a ride. Okay, the playing tournament's here to stay. Let's just say it. <laughs> oh, this last week of the NBA season is more fun than any last week of an NBA season that I can remember. Now, it may be ultimately meaningless. Don't argue with me about that. I know. I get it. It may ultimately be meaningless. But the fact is, the teams that aren't in the playoffs won in the play-in tournament. The teams that are in the bottom half of the play-in tournament don't want to have to win twice to get into the playoffs. They only want to win once. The teams that are going to be on the road for the 7-8 game want to be at home. Everybody wants to get out of it if they can and get into the top six. And the teams that are in the top six want to stay in the top six. And it may not matter. One, two, three, and four could be five, six, seven, and eight. So it may not matter. Everybody could be checking out in a hurry. I get it might be meaningless. But last night watching the NBA, I was entertained. I mean, I could tell you I wasn't. And I could come on, oh, it doesn't really matter. And I could be, but I'd be lying to you. I was entertained. I was watching the Lakers and the Knicks, and I was watching the score on the Suns game. And it's like, the Suns can't put the Warriors away. It's at six. It's at five. It's at seven. It's at five. It's at six. It's at, every time I looked at it. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, the game flipped. The Warriors had a tie. The Warriors had the lead. The Warriors won. All right, Jazz fans, the magic number now to clinch. The best record in the NBA is now down to two. Yes, the Jazz have another mulligan to play with. And no, I wasn't wrong. We're going to get into this with PK in the 7 o'clock hour. This is awesome. Uh, They got a second mulligan. They used the first one. Now they hit a bad tee shot, and they got another one. So the Suns, I don't know how they did it, but they lost to the Warriors while the Warriors were going back-to-back. And I know the Warriors were at home and they didn't have to travel, and all back-to-backs are not created equal. If you have to fly in between the games, that's an additional problem. It's a little easier when you're home. But you still had to play twice, and the Warriors were able to grind it out. And if you'd asked me, well, how did the Warriors do it, I would have told you, well, Steph Curry didn't have a great shooting game against the Jazz, so he probably went off. No! He shot it worse! He was 3 of 12 from 3 against the Jazz. He was 1 of 11. He was 1 of 11. He shot 9% from the 3-point arc. Against the Suns. But Wiggins went off. 38 points on 17 of 23 shooting. That's amazing. That is just amazing. And we were talking yesterday about role players and how do role players play on the road. And look at the Phoenix Suns. Hey, their stars had games. Chris Paul scored it. Devin Booker scored it. And i got to say, one role player, we got to give Jay Crowder a pass. I thought Jay Crowder shot it well. He scored. But after that, they didn't get anything out of Aiton. They didn't get anything out of Bridges. They didn't really get anything out of their bench. They needed another role player to go, and they didn't get it. So the Suns get beat. Although, honestly, we always go to the scoring, and the problem is defense. When the score is 122-116, I know the rules and the whistles have favored have changed to favor the offense. But if you score 116 points, you need to win the game. And that's how I feel about the Jazz. That's how I feel about the Suns. That's how I feel about everybody in the NBA. When I see teams scoring 120, or in the case of the Bucs a couple days ago, 140, it needs to be a winning record. You know, that's the, the Bucs can't give up 140. They scored like 126 or whatever it was, and they lost. What? What? Come on. You got to defend a little bit. You got to contest shots. Guys are going to make some contested shots. Derrick Rose and the Knicks loss. When he, late in the game, he got into the paint, and Wes Matthews, Wesley Matthews was right there. 
He was right there with a hand up, and he didn't foul him, but it was a tight contest. NBA players can be awesome, man. Uh, the, especially the best offensive players when they're locked in. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't. And and Rose scored about a 10-footer over Matthews, who was right there. But you still got to contest shots. And over the course of the game, I think you get rewarded for it. So when you see the Suns didn't, you know, they lose 122-116. And if you're wondering why people aren't giving the Jazz and Suns enough credit, well, look at the last couple days. You know, there's the eight-seeded Warriors who don't have their whole team. Klay Thompson is out. It's a massive loss. And they have taken down the number one and number two teams in the West on consecutive nights, going back to back. So anything can happen in the playoffs. Do you want the better seed? Yes. Do you want the high court or the home court with the higher seed? Absolutely. But are there any guarantees? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And because there are no guarantees, I think this playing tournament is working. You know, the, the, the Lakers are seven, and I thought they've come up with a couple of really strong games when they're really shorthanded. Caruso hurt his foot somehow, some way. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he wrecked some ligament or if there's a stress fracture. I don't, I don't know what it is. But he had to leave the game at halftime, and they're just running out of guards. They're running out of guys to initiate the offense. And they found a way to win in overtime anyway. And I think they were really driven. Nobody wants to have just one game where you get knocked out. Get to six and take the time off. That's way better than having to play in this play-in tournament. The only teams that want to be in the play-in tournament are the Spurs. Yeah, you're sitting there at 10. You're done right you want to be in. Give us a chance. At least give us a chance. It's like what Damian Lillard was saying last year with the Blazers. If we're going to the bubble, you got to at least give us a chance. So the play-in tournament is more... Um, more TV games, more revenue, the one-and-done. Fans love the one-and-done. We love the NCAA tournament. We love the NFL playoffs. There's an argument to be made that in team sports, those are the most popular tournaments. You know, the NBA is more popular than college basketball. But considering how few people follow college basketball, it is remarkable how popular March Madness is. But we love the one-and-done. So now basketball's got a little taste of it. You know, there'll be six games, three in the East, three in the West. And there'll be some one-and-done stuff. You know, you win and you move on, you lose and you're knocked out, and then when you get in the third game, you get both those things. The winner does move on and the loser is knocked out. And I think they're going to be wildly popular, especially if you drop LeBron James and Steph Curry into them. But even if you don't, I'll watch John Morant in a one-and-done game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Jazz, get some help. The Suns lose. So any combination, two Jazz wins and two Sun losses. And the Suns still have to play the Spurs twice. And the Jazz have Oklahoma City on Friday night. Oklahoma City is terrible. I mean, the Kings are bad, and the Jazz just scored 150 points. But the Kings, they have been winning some games here down the stretch. Now, the Jazz smoked them. But it really looks like the Jazz ought to do this now. I mean, they just got to win two of the last three games. And if the Suns stumble once, they only have to win one of their last three games. And that is why yesterday, I can't remember who told us. Anyway, somebody told us uh, 90% chance. Um, I think it's Andy Bailey, and we're going to replay that interview coming up next. I think it was Andy Bailey who said 90% chance the Jazz get the number one seed. And it was, you know, games like last night that people were looking at. Jazz and the Blazers tonight, and the Blazers. Definitely trying to keep it together. The Blazers are trying to stay out of that seven seed. They want to be five or six. They want 
no part of that, and they're going to bring it. So the Jazz are going to get a good test tonight, and that's good because the Jazz need to be tested for the playoffs and keep pushing. And I think the Jazz will play better. I expect they win. They're back home where they've been great. They've only lost four home games this year. And, you know, role players usually play better at home. They're more comfortable with their fans. They're more comfortable in the shooting background they're used to. You know, blah, 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 all the stuff you've heard over time. And I think it's all large, largely true. So, Jazz have all that going for them tonight against the Blazers. Um, the Lakers beat the Knicks in overtime. Uh, the Mavericks won. The Clippers won. So, teams are, uh, teams are pushing, coming down the stretch here. And we'll see what the Jazz can do tonight. All right. Uh, and then the other uh, sports story that caught my eye. I mean, I do follow the Padres because I grew up in San Diego and grew up going to their games and all that. And Fernando Tatis Jr., I mean, he is a mega star. And he tested positive for COVID. Asymptomatic, reportedly. But he's out, and he's out. I think it's going to be at least 10 games. We'll have to see if it ends up being more. Um, but he's out, and then they had another player test positive, and then they had another player you know, who had to leave the game. Uh, they pulled a player because of a positive test in the middle of the game, and they pulled another player because of contact tracing. So we'll see where this is going uh, with the Padres, but they are losing a big chunk of their lineup, a big chunk. And, you know, something to keep in your back in mind. This could happen to an NBA team during the playoffs. Um, they have a thing in baseball where the rules change for the club if 85% of the players are vaccinated. And the Padres manager was asked about that, and he said, we're not at 85%, we're just a couple players away. And nobody wants to order someone to get tested. Uh, well, I shouldn't say no one, but no one in pro sports seems to want to order someone to get tested. And, but they are definitely trying to um, persuade them. Um, if you are not into it, you probably think they're trying to pressure them. And if you are into it, you probably think they're trying to educate them. So you can pick your own word. Um, but this may do it. And, and they've changed the rules. Once you get to 85%, there's a little more freedom and there's a little less, um, it's a little less restrictive. In the NBA, Joe Ingles has told us there's so many rules. It'll be interesting to see what the rules look like for next year. But I would expect they would change based on vaccinations. And I think a lot of NBA players have gotten vaccinated, but I, I'd be surprised if there was a team that was 100% vaccinated. So you're always at risk of losing one guy, right? Um, and vaccinated people can get it. So, you know, what'll happen? It could still impact the NBA playoffs. And thought of that. Watch what happened to the Padres. All right, DJ and PK, more in a moment. Stay with us. This is 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Registration is now open for Skyhawks Sports Academy Summer Camps. Join them for an action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports camps at a location near you. Choose between soccer, flag football, fueled by USA Football, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini-hawk camps, and more. Find program information and register today at www.skyhawks.com. It's time to welcome in Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst, part of our spring football tour. Alex, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're going to see a lot of the Washington State Cougars. Utah State in the opener. 
Utah in the fourth game of the year and BYU in late October. That is the, looks like the eighth game of the year for Washington State. And obviously you had the coaching change there. And I'm just curious how much we know about Nick Rolovich and how much just because of the craziness of 2020 and the super abbreviated season, how much is he still a mystery to Wazoo fans and just they're drawn on what he did at Hawaii because they haven't seen enough of him at Wazoo? Well, I tell you what, I, I think one thing we learned about Nick Rolovich and his staff in general uh, throughout all of 2020, you know, was a lot about who they are as people and their ability to connect with both athletes and fans, right? I mean, Nick Rolovich was very early on in kind of the pandemic lockdown time, going out into the community in Pullman and ordering meals uh, for people and saying, hey, meet me down at the local pizza shop and I got 20 pizzas waiting for anybody that needs dinner, stuff like that, right? And so that connection, you know, is is true to the Coug spirit, obviously. You know, I think the question marks around kind of what the product is going to be on the field, you know, is fairly similar to to what you would see with other programs, you know, that have gone through coaching changes during this time. You just don't really know because, you know, four games or six games or whatever you got in last year really just wasn't, um, you know, wasn't enough of a sample size. So I think that's what we're waiting to see, particularly on the offensive side of the football is, when the run and shoot, you know, Nick Rolovich's kind of trademark offense, so to speak, of what he runs, when that run and shoot is fully installed, what does it look like at Washington State? Because we did not see that in 2020. We saw, you know, fits and starts, but we didn't see, I think, what the end product will be. So I can make a case you got nine starters returning back on offense with that Rolovich offense that you speak of. But the quarterback position is a little bit muddled. Obviously, the freshman, Jaden DeLora, had his issue. I think he had the DUI was suspended uh, during the offseason. Guarantano, the transfer from Tennessee, comes in. Uh, Cam Cooper, a local kid, is still in the mix. As of right now, where does it stand? Well, you know, you're 100% right that it is a little murky. I mean, Jaden DeLora got off to a hot start with a win against Oregon State last year as a true freshman. But, you know, as most freshmen experience at a high level, um, you know, tailed off a little bit towards the end, particularly against some of the better teams in the league. So I think in general, on field was a great learning experience for him. But, you know, he made some poor choices off the field, and now he's in a position where he's got to battle for his job. And so... Uh, you know, bringing in Garantano from Tennessee, I think, was a great move for Washington State, a guy that started a ton of ballgames in the SEC. And, you know, he's kind of vilified to some degree by the Tennessee fans. Um, but if you look at that Tennessee program that's had so much turmoil and so much turnover at the coaching position during his time, you can appreciate where um, he's had challenges as a quarterback. So going to Washington State, I think, was going to be a great move. And then first play of the spring scrimmage there on, at the end of spring ball, you know, he got hurt with looked like a hand injury. We don't know how serious or anything, but, you know, that was going to be kind of the fans' first opportunity to see him in live action. Um, so that was a little disappointing. But he's got a long way to go, obviously, before fall camp to get ready. And then, you know, Cameron had a nice spring and I think has a, a season and a fall under his belt to learn this offense. He's obviously a phenomenal athlete. Um, you know, he's kind of of the mold. I always tell people that, you know, nowadays we used to guys that if they don't play by their freshman or sophomore year, they transfer or, or we kind of consider them a failure. The reality is, shoot, when I was playing, if, if, if you sat for two or three years, you were considered experienced, and that was part of the timeline when you got a chance to go. And so I think Cam has been waiting his, uh, waiting his turn, and so he's in the mix to compete for sure. 
So the receiver core, it looks like uh, two or three. Harrison Bell put up pretty big stats last year, and Calvin right there. Behind that, uh, you know, it's only four games, so there's a lot of freshmen and sophomores. I'm curious if the receiving core is top-heavy, if you expect any of these freshmen and sophomores to break out, or is it going to be the same guys at at the top of the stat sheet again? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, if you can if you can believe it, you know, considering you had Mike Leach in the air raid offense and then you transitioned right into Nick Rolovich in the run and shoot, you know, the receiver position I would consider a little bit thin right now at Washington State. I mean, there was from the transition from Coach Leach to Coach Rolovich, there was a lot of turnover. You had some graduation. You had some guys, you know, that didn't make it for various reasons, transfers and that sort of thing. Um, and so last year going into the season, you're right, you know, you had Renard Bell and Travell Harris in the slot that were super impactful. I mean, they fit really well. Jameer Calvin was another guy that, you know, was productive. He actually entered the transfer portal and, and has since transferred to, I think he announced Mississippi State with Coach Leach just the other day. So he's gone, um, you know, and so you don't have as much depth as you would like. And they brought in some guys on the outside that, they're, you know, they're hoping young freshmen have a chance um, to, to pop. They brought in a junior college transfer, C.J. Moore from uh, who was at Oklahoma State, a former four-star recruit, big, tall, athletic receiver. They really hope he can pop, but they need some help on the outside. I mean, this run-and-shoot offense needs four guys that can go get the football. They need guys that are threats on the outside. And right now, Washington State don't doesn't have um, guys that have proven they can do it. I think they have the athletic ability and they have the guys on the roster. You know, but they got to do it when the live bullets are flying. All right, well, the the run and shoot, you know, you talk about the shoot, but how about the run? Because I like the running backs uh, with, uh, obviously, Borgie and uh, what's the Notre Dame transfer? McIntosh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Dion McIntosh. That's yeah. right. So you got those two kids, and then I look at the line, you got four or five starters returning. Lucas, uh, I think it was second team, all Pac-12 last year there so it looks like they're in good hands as far as running the ball you think maybe we'll see some more of that yeah you know it's funny i think in the past it's been very easy right to to lean into washington state's offense and talk about quarterbacks and receivers because of the system and what you know what coach leach brought and you know what we expected out of nick rolovich the reality is uh, Max Borgie is the best player on this roster at the running back position, um, you know, across the board. And I would, I would argue that he's one of the top five players in the Pac-12 um, as long as he stays healthy, which, you know, last year was kind of the first year we saw that pop up for him. I mean, he's an explosive back. He's going to play on Sundays, no doubt. Um, and I think this system is going to fit him really well. They do want to lean into running the football more. Um, you know, Nick Rolovich and his offense coordinator, Brian Smith, who is the running back coach, um, you know, they want to have an element of balance. But more importantly, you know, they want to utilize their playmakers to the best of their ability. So, you know, they're not going to – you're not going to see Max Borgie just in the backfield. He'll split out at times. You'll see him in motion. They'll get creative with him. I mean, he is, he is truly going to be a guy – that uh, is going to make a huge impact you know, every time he touches the field on Saturdays. And then we saw last year when Borgie was hurt, Deion McIntosh, like you said, Notre Dame transfer, um, you know, really successful in his own right, had a great, uh, great season in that shortened year. So you have some depth there. Um, and then that offensive line, I mean, look, Abe Lucas is going to be a first-round draft pick in, in the NFL at the right tackle position. You got Liam Ryan, who's back, who's going to be a four-year starter. You got Brian Green, your center back. I mean, you have – um, at the guard position, you have talent and you have depth there. And so I think this offensive football team for Washington State is going to center around the line and the running backs, you know, which is 
strange to say based on what we know about the Cougars in the past, but, I mean, that's really where they're going to make their bread and butter. We're joined right now by Alex Brink, Washington State Radio Football Analyst, Spring Football Tour. Washington State's going to open with the Utah State Aggies, then play the Utes and the Cougars later in the year. So we're going to see a lot of them. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, if we've learned anything watching Kyle Whittingham over a decade and a half as a head coach at the U, uh, defense starts with the defensive line. And if you can stop the run, and if you can do it with those front four, then everything else you can build off of that. And reading about the spring game, basically the whole D-line sat. Have they identified the whole D-line, trust the whole D-line, and they're starting in a good place there? Well, I tell you what, I think you know, Washington State's defense as a whole is, a, if you look at the roster in the 2-deep and even in the 3-deep, there's a lot of guys that have Pac-12 snaps under their belt, right? And there's, you know, there's re- various reasons for that. It, it feels like you know, there were some injuries last year, so you got some different guys that were stepping up. Previously, two years ago, other guys, happened to be the starters and stepping up, and then they were banged up last year. So now you've got this too deep across the board on the defensive line where you say, oh, yeah, you know, two years ago, Willie Taylor had four and a half sacks. You know, last year he wasn't quite as impactful. So is he going to step up again and, and, and be the guy? Uh, you know, you got guys like Brennan and different rush end type guys that stepped up last year that I think, um, you know, have a chance, again, to, to make an impact. The key is going to be in that inside, um, you know, in those one and three techniques, right? Can they – can they make a big enough impact that they keep the offensive line off the linebackers to be able to continue to make plays? And I think Washington State's defensive line, through for various reasons, both recruiting and injuries, you know, over the last two or three years, have struggled with depth issues, and their impact players haven't had a chance to make the impact that you would expect. So I'm looking to see if that group can get healthy over the summer and come in full strength in the fall, because I do think um, you know they have a chance to really be uh, be a solid group. But the reality is Washington State's strength uh, on defense right now is at the corner position, which is it's been, it's, it's been a long time since Washington State's had a chance to say that. But Jalen Watson, you know, number zero, is as good as they get when it comes uh, to, to a corner. He's 6'3", 195 pounds. He came in, he was a former USC recruit, had to go the junior college route because of some great issues. Ends up at Washington State, was a great player last year in that short season, had the chance to be really, really special. And then you bring back George Hicks, Shaw Smith-Wade, um, you know, Derek Langford. You've got four or five guys that can go into that rotation at corner. So, to me, I'm saying, boy, if our secondary is that strong, you know, maybe that helps the D-line, whereas in the past it's really been about can the D-line get pressure to help the secondary. All right, so that leaves us with linebacker. Uh, I can make a case. I think they're they're waiting for uh, see what Dylan Sherman does if he returns or not, which would bolster the group. But you got to like Jaha Woods, who can make a case for him possibly being all conference. Yeah, boy. I mean, you're bringing back Jahad Woods, who's gonna um, you know be one of the all time leading tacklers uh, at Washington State when it's all said and done. The fact that he decided to return, honestly. Uh, is a big boon for Washington State's defense. I mean, he is a he had you know was kind of on track to maybe average less tackles per game during last year's season than he did previously, but that was almost by design, right? He was in the past he's been asked to do everything, be all over the field, and that's really affected I think you know his overall performance in the end. Although he's had a lot of tackles, so I look for him this year, right? If he has the help on the D line, he has a guy next to him making plays. You know, you won't have to have Jihad Woods make every tackle, but he'll make the impactful tackles. And so he is really the core of it. 
you bring back Justice Rogers, who's been you know a three-year starter at middle linebacker, a former high school quarterback who's super cerebral, you know, has been very productive. But there's a guy on the roster named Travion Brown that that the coaching staff has been kind of waiting to come along at the middle linebacker position. I mean, he he really looks the part when he's on the field, and you know, he had some flashes as a freshman. Um, was a guy that was uh, you know all pack as a as a true freshman, and then. You know, he comes back on the fresh, excuse me, freshman all-pack team, and then you know last year didn't get as much time because of injuries. But if he can step up, you know, he's going to provide some really important depth at that linebacker position. And again, they need somebody that can be an enforcer in the middle of the field. And and I think Travion Brown can be that guy if he's on if he's on the field. So in the shortened season, Washington State went one and three with a bizarre and really somewhat unfair schedule. Beat Oregon State in the opener, but then had to play Oregon, USC, and Utah. Just getting the top of the conference after that, and uh, lost all three of those games. So where are expectations for this year? Is uh, is a winning record possible? I sure think a winning record is possible. You know, I think they're going to have to start fast. I mean, I really believe that. You know, this is the team that. You know, it is learning still under Nick Rolovich. There's been that transition. I think one thing about Mike Leach and what they brought in was a very clearly defined system, you know, and expectations from top to bottom. And so, you know, that guys were used to that, right? And now they've had to transition to something a little bit different that I think can have success in its own right. But, um, you know, they really got to, you know, get a chance to, to kind of gel together. And, and the challenge, if you don't start fast, right, is then all the question marks and the outside noise starts to come in. So I think, you know, getting off to a fast start against Utah State would be really important. Um, you know, the question marks at quarterback, uh, I think, are uh, very valid, and those have to get answered, you know, during fall camp right away. But, again, with the offensive line and Max Borgie and then what looks like some strength on the back end of the defense, you know, I, there there are pieces of the puzzle that are going to allow some of the growth to happen um, a little bit along the way. So I think a winning record is absolutely the expectation at Washington State. And, I, and, I, and honestly, what I really believe is that, you know, there should never be a step back now to the, the Washington State Cougars not expecting to go to a bowl game every year. And so I, to me, I think that's what the guys in the room truly believe. Well, Alex, we appreciate you coming on the air. We might lean on you in the fall since uh, sure. you're playing all three uh, in-state teams. I don't know. Why Portland State? I mean, Weber State and Southern Utah. I mean, cut a deal. Let's, <laughs> yeah, we might as well yeah, add them all in, right? Have four. Go for the grand slam, right? All right. Thanks, sure. Alex. We appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Look forward to catching up again. Take care. There is Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst. Our spring football tour. Want to make sure we hit Washington State. Not one of the higher profile teams in the Pac-12. But intriguing here because in a in a bizarre set of circumstances, they are playing Utah State, Utah, and BYU. Why they're playing Portland State, I'll never understand. They should have played Weaver State. Or Southern Utah or Dixie. Come on, get a fourth Utah team on the schedule. If you want the state championship, you got to play everybody. They are a classic example of why 2020 is going to misinform us on who's going to be good this year. Now, I think it's conventional wisdom, and it's probably true that Oregon and Washington are the big dogs, and maybe Stanford or Cal, everything lines up, and they're pretty good as well. But Washington State's just a huge unknown. You go through a coaching change. You hit a pandemic, you only play four games. Oh, they were one and three. They weren't very good. That is misleading right from the start. They beat Oregon State in the first game, and then they play Oregon, USC, and Utah. 
Okay, they missed Washington, but they played three of the four best teams in the league, and they lost them all. So what does one and three tell us? What would have happened if they had played the middle of the league? What would have happened if they played the bottom of the league? They got Oregon State of the bottom, I don't know, seven teams in the league. They got one. I mean, you can't play yourself, and four teams they clearly missed. So who are these guys? And I think it's really intriguing to see who steps up at the receiver position to make the run and shoot go. Uh, and, you know, Alex, you know, former player on the team, now radio analyst, former player, he's saying the slot receivers are good. And you can just look at the stats. It's not even close if you look at the stats. Their top two receivers are back, and their third receiver's transferring. So it's a huge question mark. But they got two classes worth of guys ready to emerge. You know, sometimes freshmen come in and take off. Sometimes sophomores need a year, and then they take off. And we just don't have any clue. We got too little information from those four games last year. So huge question marks for uh, Washington State on the outside there. He is right about the quick start, though. After they play uh, Utah State and Portland State, they get USC and Utah. So if the Aggies get them, they could be looking at a 1-3 and three start real quick. And then, then there's a bunch of questions and all that. So we'll see how that plays out. We appreciate Alex coming on. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. How does he stack up the top five teams in the West? Who are they? How does he rank them? How does he rank them if they're healthy? How does he rank them with the injuries that we all think are going to impact this playoff season? All right, we'll do that. Andy Bailey coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, we had Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report on. We have had Andy on several times a year for I don't even know how many seasons now. And he follows the NBA pretty closely, follows the Jazz closely, but I think he's pretty analytical and tries to stay away from, you know, getting sucked into the vortex and letting one team overpower him. I think that, uh, you know, stay away from the homerism and all that kind of stuff. Don't put on the uh, purple shaded glasses. I don't What's the color for the Jazz these days? They're wearing so many jersey colors. My wife asked me that the other day, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like some teams, I I, I hear, um, you know, Dolphins, and you think teal. You hear Jets, and you know it's that green, right? Everybody's got their colors. The Raiders are the silver and black. The Lakers are the purple and gold. USC's got that Cardinal, right? Uh, we all can see, uh, uh, I don't know, pick your favorite team running out. It's like Washington's changing their nickname, you know, they dropped Redskins, they're the Redskins, they're the football team, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to. But it's burgundy, baby, you know it. What are the Jazz? I mean, there's some green, there's some blue, there's some purple, there's some gold, there's some white. You know what the Jazz don't wear? They don't wear brown. They're not borrowing the Padres or the Wyoming Cowboys brown and gold stuff. That's it. <sighs> So anyways, he stays away from the purple-tinted glasses. So the question is, 
if there are all these injured players are still injured, how does the West stack up? And everybody's healthy, how does it stack up? And the truth is, some of the injured guys are going to stay injured and some of the injured guys are going to get healthy, and that is very hard to predict. But it was interesting to hear Andy Bailey ranking teams in the West. Here he is with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ PK, brought to you apart by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 7. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. We're good. We are intrigued by the final three regular season games and everything that is in stake, and then the potential playoff matchups, of which there are still too many to consider. But right out of the gate, I am curious, uh, are you with us in that the first-round matchup is probably going to be very difficult for the Jazz, unless the San Antonio Spurs average 146 points per night from here until the start of the playoffs and become the eight seed, because the Jazz seem to have the Spurs number pretty good. But whether it's the Blazers, the Lakers, the Warriors, don't sleep on the Grizzlies, that is going to be a difficult first-round matchup. There's no walk in the park there. Yeah, there's probably no walk in the park. Um, You know, the West is deep and that's you know obviously not new that's kind of been the case for 20 25 years now um so just getting the number one seed isn't you know you don't have a cakewalk to the second round i i'm not as worried about the warriors as some other people might be um if utah has conley and mitchell i think that's a a very uphill battle for the warriors i mean you obviously can't count out stephen curry who could go for you know 40 50 points on any given night um but the the supporting cast for that team, I think, really falls off a cliff after Draymond, after their top two guys. I mean, they'll they'll get random solid performances from Kent Bazemore. He's had a nice season. I think Wiggins has been better this season. Um, but if if everybody's fully healthy, and I guess that's not a given for Utah, um, I, I do think Utah is a pretty clear favorite there. The other teams you mentioned, Portland and and L.A. are obviously going to be problematic. I, I think the Jazz would be a fairly comfortable favorite over Portland too, but Damian Lillard is dangerous, not not quite like Stephen Curry, but obviously can go off and I like their supporting cast a little bit better than Golden State's and I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on the Lakers. If that winds up being the first round matchup for the Jazz, I mean that's that's sort of the doomsday scenario. I do think they can beat a fully healthy Lakers squad, um, but they they might not even be favored in that series. So, do you feel like it's going to be the Warriors at eight and the Lakers at seven? What are your thoughts there? Well, like you said, it's it's almost impossible to gauge where everybody's going to land right now. And I've I've kind of stayed out of that realm for pretty much the whole time I've covered the NBA because so much can happen on a night-to-night basis. I mean, it looked like the Jazz were were a shoe-in for the number one seed before last night's loss and they're still I, I just looked at this this morning I think even with that loss they're like a 90% chance to stay at number one um, but the added wrinkle this season is that there's the play-in tournament too so we've got all the different machinations that are going to happen over the next three or four days plus things can shake up again in the play-in tournament so I think if you're the Jazz um, you probably have to kind of look at all those teams that you just mentioned Um you know, and it's it's maybe impossible to dive in in terms of preparation on each and every one of them. Um, but in the back of your head, there's there's the, the possibility that you could play any of those teams. The Spurs would obviously, if if they fell into number eight and the Jazz stayed at one, I think, like you said, that'd probably be the 
the big jackpot uh, for the Jazz. I think they'd handle that series pretty well, and I think they're in decent shape against Memphis and probably Golden State. Um, but there are just so many different ways that it could go over the next few days. And this this is kind of a, a tangent at this point, but I, I think this is part of what has made the play-in tournament such a good call by the NBA. Um, the level of excitement around the league right now um, is just off the charts uh, with all these different possibilities and fewer teams tanking and a bunch of teams trying to get into the playoffs. Um, I just think there's so much intrigue right now. It's, it's going to be really fun to pay attention to this last week. We're joined right now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So I'm curious as you watch the Jazz, and nobody really, only they know for sure, and I wonder even how much information they wish they had that they don't have yet, but I got to admit, I'm a little concerned by how long Donovan's been out. Uh, is there any concern with you that, hey, he could be back for the playoffs and he's out five weeks, scrape the rust off for the first round, but he'll he'll be in the flow pretty well and playing at a high level and I'm just up chasing ghosts? Or uh, more people should be concerned about how long he's been out? I, th- I think it's probably fair to have at least some concern. Um it's not easy to knock off the rust in a game or two. Like you mentioned, you know, it can take time to get back up to game speed. You can try to simulate um, the conditioning as much as you can, but there's, I think there's always a difference between game action and running on a treadmill or, you know, playing five on five pickup or in practice or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's, it's, it's encouraging to know that it's a grade one sprain and not, something worse and that makes me think that you know maybe they're just being abundantly cautious with him so that he will be full strength and and maybe won't be feeling any sort of pain um when he jumps back on the floor so that's it, it's kind of a fine line to walk i think it's fair to have concern but it, it could also be a lot worse i i do think there's maybe even more concern for mike Conley because the hamstring thing um that has crept up on multiple occasions during his two seasons at the jazz. And it's, you know, it, it seems like one of those injuries that you can randomly tweak here or there and, and maybe doesn't fully go away unless you have an off season to rest it. Um, and I think, you know, there are certain series where Utah's probably going to need both of those guys. Um, they, when they're both healthy, they're one of the better backcourts in the league. Um, and that certainly helps them match up better with a team like Portland. Um, it makes defense a little tougher on the Lakers, obviously, so you want both of those guys healthy. Um, I, I think I'd have slightly more concern on Conley, um, just to be honest. And he's up there in age, too. Um, you know, not to throw that at him, but it's it's a concern when you're a professional athlete. So there's there's certainly some worry there. Um, but I, I get the sense that Utah is just being super cautious with both of those guys. Rank your favorites one through five in the West. Ooh, yeah, I like it. (laughs) Assuming there's health. Yeah, that's tough. If if I assume full health, um, regardless of where the Lakers land, I would probably put them first. Um, The the chemistry between LeBron and AD and the way the rest of those guys play defense, um, I think they still have a very, very – high ceiling. Um, so I would probably go with them first. I'm tempted to say Clippers second, but I, 
you know, I can't quite shake the the mental stuff with them that was clearly on display in the last postseason, um, and they may have exercised some of that in the off season. But I, <laughs> I'm going to cheat and well, I I, I want to cheat and do tears, but I'm actually going to put Utah second. Um, then I would put the Clippers third, Suns fourth, and probably Dallas fifth. Um, you know, Denver has the basically the presumptive MVP at this point, but as soon as they lost Jamal Murray, I kind of had to knock them out of the legitimate title contender tier. Um, so I feel fairly confident going, I think I said Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Suns, Mavericks. It's a pretty good list right there, Andy. Of course, the problem with that list is it assumes complete health. Those were the guidelines you were given. Yeah. And there's too many injured guys now for me to think we're going to see a completely healthy playoff. So although that list yeah, is great, I don't think that list is very linked to reality because there are going to be injuries. There, there are going to be injuries um, for sure. And I, and I know that the league came out, and I think it was through an ESPN story, and said that they haven't seen any more injuries this season uh, statistically than they do typically and maybe maybe it just felt like more because there were so many high profile guys that went down and it seems like they all went down at the same time um but it, it does seem like with the condensed schedule um you know and the, the health and safety protocols and all the you know unique things about this season i would be pretty surprised if you know everybody is back to full strength for the playoffs and stays that way um and and that's not really exclusive to this season either. I mean, there are always injuries that, that pop up in the playoffs. I mean, a lot of the Golden State Warriors doubters will still point to all the injuries that happened in their path in the 2014-15 title. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there, there will certainly be health problems for some teams. For Jazz fans who are listening to this show, um, you know, maybe they can take some solace in the fact that I think Utah is probably one of the deeper teams of those five that I named. Um, you know, they've They've obviously played pretty well with Conley and Mitchell both out here recently. They lost that game on the road last night, but the fact that Bogdanovich kind of looks like his old self, maybe even better than his old self during this stretch, and um, you know Ingles is obviously very comfortable running the offense, and there are guys who can step up and, and provide a little bit more in the absence of one or two of the stars. I mean, I think the the apocalypse for Utah is if Rudy Gobert goes down and Derek Favors is maybe the best backup center in the league, but he's not the defensive player of the year and an all NBA caliber player. So injuries could impact a bunch of teams, but if there, there are squads that are kind of set up to withstand it, Utah might be one of those. Andy Bailey joining us, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So I'm curious as you watch this, uh, as you watch this play out now that you have assuming health, now assume the injuries you assume and tweak your playoff list. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so I, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier, and I do think that Utah's just being really cautious with Conley and Mitchell. Um, and, you know, I, there, there's like a subconscious element in me that thinks it's, it's really hard to pick teams that haven't done it before. Um, but the numbers side of me says that Utah's numbers are just overwhelming. Um, statistically, they are a dominant, dominant team. Um, and so if I, if I plug into the objective side of my brain, I'd probably have to go with Utah there. I just, you know, <laughs> the way that they shoot the three and the way that they defend, I think they're just so well-crafted as a roster. Um, 
you know, and they could go cold for two or three games in a series, but I don't think they'll go cold for four. Um, so I think I think with the amount of firepower they have and the depth that they have, I would actually probably put them first. Um, Lakers probably second still um, because you know I I think they're probably being fairly cautious too. But at the same time, um, I think you got to start to wonder about LeBron's ankle a little bit, and, and Anthony Davis certainly has a history of getting nicked up here and there. Um, and they're, they're one injury. I don't think they're as deep as Utah. So they're one injury away from, you know, possible catastrophe. Uh, after that, I'd probably go Clippers still and then Suns and Mavs. So maybe all I did there was just flip the Jazz and the Lakers. What is the Jazz kryptonite? Is it just going cold collectively as a team? Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, and it's it's really hard to quantify this, but... I do think there is an element to, you know, the guys that have been there and done this before. And it's, you know, nothing is going to surprise Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. Um, And I, you know, I maybe could have said that last year and then they got surprised by the nuggets. So (laughs) that maybe, maybe nothing's off the table, but you know, LeBron and AD have been all the way through all of this. Um, You know, Chris Paul obviously hasn't made it to the finals, but he's, but he has a ton of playoff experience. Um, you know, I, I think experience probably is a bigger bugaboo for them, uh, the Suns, than it is for the Jazz. But, you know, I, I think you identified maybe the biggest thing. They just go on a crazy cold streak for four out of seven games. Um, and that's obviously a big problem for them. But then experience is, is trouble, too. And I, I would put that further down on the list. Um just because Conley's been through a ton of playoff battles, Gobert has now been pretty well playoff tested. Uh, Donovan Mitchell last season did stuff in the playoffs that didn't seem possible <laughs> with multiple 50-point games in a single series. So I think he's ready for the playoffs. Um, so, you know, again, this is sort of like the, the subconscious or subjective take versus the objective take. Um because again, it, it's hard to measure. You know, this this is what this amount of experience does for you in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I would say probably some combination of those two things, just going really cold and and maybe not getting real deep into the playoffs as a unit yet. What about the theory that the Jazz are vulnerable to a team with long, athletic wings? They switch a lot. Maybe they switch everything. They're going to get a lot of deflections and they're going to turn them into fast breaks. I think that's fair. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of people have pointed out that there's going to be a lot asked of Royce O'Neal against teams like that. You know, like the, you're probably alluding at least in part to the Clippers. Um, and, and there certainly will be. I think a lot of the people that are sort of pounding that drum are underestimating Joe Ingles as a defender. Um, you know, he can stay in front of those wings, I think, better than people realize. And, um, you know, he's, he's become so savvy as a pick-and-roll ball handler too and you know obviously being defended by Kawhi or Paul George or you know playoff LeBron that's no picnic um but Joe Ingles has been through a lot of battles too so I think they they have some decent counters for that I'm a little worried about the lack of size in the backcourt with Conley and Mitchell I, I think that could be a problem against teams like that um but I <laughs> I just can't help but keep going back to the numbers and how just absurd this jazz team is as a shooting team um and just think that you know they they may have two or three games like that but they're also going to have games where they make 
you know, 19 threes and shoot 45% from three. And, and how do some of those teams keep up with that? Um, so it's, I, I think they just have good counters for, for basically everything. This goes back again to what I was saying, that this team is just, it's built so well and so balanced. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Utah got beat by, you know, any of the teams that we've been talking about here just because the West is so good. Um, but they really have built a roster that can kind of counter anything at this point. Well, Andy, we appreciate a few minutes. As always, we look forward to talking to you in the postseason. All right. Thanks, guys. There is Andy Bailey. Uh, you can check him out at Bleacher Report. And we'll have him back on during the playoffs. Love having Andy on the show. When we come back, what is trending? The Lakers and the Knicks. The Suns and the Warriors. Some of the other playoff teams the West playing as well. And we will catch you up on all those games. Get ready for Jazz and Blazers tonight. What is trending is coming up next. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.